As you are seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. And as our children leave, we bow to pray. As the disciple of old prayed, Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of life. We need words of life as we begin this new calendar year. Words not so much spoken from a preacher, but words which draw from beyond us, deep within us, and call us to our best and true selves. Thank you for the gift of this moment. Thank you for the honor of prayer. You who taught us to pray, promise to hear our prayers and come and be among us, Emmanuel, God with us. So hear us now as we employ the words of old that Jesus taught his first disciples as together we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Really, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or really to have even read much Bible. You don't even have to be very religious to know this story we read today about the wise men or the magi, these astronomers, these odd strangers from Iraq or Persia who show up late with odd gifts for Jesus' birthday party. It may take a little bit more knowledge, maybe a little bit of time in Sunday school, to know that this story is only found in Matthew, not in Mark, Luke, or John. And that Matthew chose this story rather than the story of the angels and the shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And then it may take perhaps a little bit of another level of understanding or sophistication to recognize that Matthew, as compared to Mark, Luke, and John, the other gospel writers, Matthew highlights Jesus' Jewishness from the very beginning with the genealogy through the way Jesus is portrayed as kind of a new Moses during the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the rest of the, the, this telling of the story, it's about Jesus' Jewishness, which is why it feels odd incongruous that Matthew would give prime time right out the bat, Matthew chapter 2, to these strangers from a different culture, from a different religion, from a different ethnicity, these folks who have even a different holy book. So no matter what level you're hearing this, I want to suggest that this story we all know so well is actually kind of a clue. It's a sign. 
In literature, we might call it a foreshadowing, or in music, it's a a foreshadowing. It's an early rendition of something we're going to hear later on in the story. We may wonder, what compelled these non-Jewish astronomers to leave the comfort and security and safety of home and breach the boundaries of culture and religion and race in order to walk right into the halls of power in another nation and ask questions that they know are going to cause a bit of an uproar. Herod was afraid and all of Jerusalem with him. All in order to encounter or experience or to reveal some notion that has drawn them. Drawn them. Matthew says... They're following a star. And the literalist or the cynics among us may ask, how do you follow a star? I mean, stars are way out beyond the sun. How could a star guide someone to an exact place? But maybe what they're trying to say is their reverence and their wonder and their study of nature, of the stars in the sky, become for these magi the door or the draw through which they're found and, and compelled by, by the star to move beyond their norm, known borders and into something new to experience something they've yet to fully experience and understand. You've had that experience. You've had those times when you can't explain why, but you just feel drawn to do something, right? Right? About a year and a half ago, a young man visited our church one time, and later that week he confessed to a murder in Cherokee Park. Since then, I felt drawn to visit him on a regular basis. Why are you doing that? I don't know. I'm just drawn. Or maybe you feel those times or remember those times when you're drawn to consider some new idea that's really kind of out of the box and beyond the boundaries that most of your family and friends and church might want you to live within. But you're drawn to, to ask or to listen or consider. Why are you doing that? Why are you messing with that other? Well, I don't know. I'm just drawn. Or you have those times where you, you feel drawn to, to, to stop and give thanks to God. And you're not even in church. You're, you're, at, you're at school or you're in the store and something happens. You witness a scene in front of you that's so, so beautiful or so sacred that you just want to stop and give thanks. And... You, Maybe you hear a voice within you or maybe somebody asks you, what's up with you? Why why are you doing that? And you say, I I don't know. I'm, I'm drawn. It's like I'm being drawn by a star. I'm being guided. I had to go. I had to ask. I had to do. I had to stop. This is God. This is God. God is the drawing. God is the one force which finds us and draws us always to bigger ideas, to more beautiful and redemptive and inclusive interactions with other people. God is the one who draws the reverence that we feel 
in those moments when we encounter beauty and joy and love and sacrifice and it calls us to be reverent in the presence of all of creation for it's all singing about the glory of God. Your drawing agent might be a star like the Magi. Sometimes it's a service like today. Occasionally it's even a sermon that someone gives. But it might be something different. It might be school. Something at school which makes your heart sing. Calls to you. Draws you. Maybe it's some encounter where you work. Maybe it's something at the store that you see or experience. Or it's something within yourself. You don't figure it out. It's not that you've analyzed it and decided to do it. You didn't find it. It found you. And it drew you like a magnet. It feels to me in my life experience that anytime I try to rationalize religion and get it all figured out and put down on paper so that I, okay, now I've got it. Anytime I try to, to approach it that way, God is elusive and vague and not very real to me. But in those moments when I'm intuitive, in those moments when I feel drawn and I respond, I trust and I go where I'm feeling led, boundaries be damned, God ends up being right under my nose. Or sometimes right in my nose, right inside my very body, right here with us in everything that we smell and see and touch and taste. It's all the glory of God. And I see it, and I, I'm changed. Well, the Magi go. They're drawn. And after they have an exchange with Herod, who represents the powers and the, the principalities, which is never where truth and love and light hang out, they're drawn by the star, or by nature, or by life, to the very doorstep of Mary and Joseph. Every year about this time, I am reminded of a song I learned on my guitar years ago. It's a song by Steve Earle. The chords are easy, and Steve Earle doesn't have a great voice, so I can kind of imitate this song a little bit. But I love the lyrics. They chased a brand new star ever toward the west. Across the miles far, and when it came to rest, they scarce believed their eyes. They'd come so many miles, and the miracle they prized was nothing but a child. A child. If I'd been one of the wise men, I would have said, that's it? That's all you got? I've been blowing sand out of my nose for weeks to get to this. But the wise men had just the opposite reaction. They bow down and they worship. And they offer these gifts, these gifts that come from nature and these gifts that represent their very lives, who they are. Why? I mean, he's, Jesus is a baby. 
He's not even spoken a word. This is 30 years before he announces the kingdom of God has come around among you and is within you. This is, this is long before Paul and the others try to form a, a theology to try to give some explanation or some context to this. This is hundreds of years uh, before Steve McSwain and other professional uh, fundraisers all of a sudden try to get your gifts from you. This is long before any of that. And here they are. Why? It feels like their reverence is more primitive. And as a result, it's more pure. It's less encumbered with teams and competition and different points of view. I think what they recognized is the same sacredness that they'd seen in Persian or Iraqi babies. They traveled all these miles and they come to this place and they see this child, this freshly minted image of God announcing to them and for anyone with eyes to see and ears to hear that life is about connection. Life is about connection. Not competition, but connection. Sacred connections to all things and to every single thing. Did you see the French film some years ago simply called Babies? There's no, there's no, there's no uh, dialogue in the movie. It's just a film about four different babies. One from Africa, one from Mongolia, one from Japan, and one from San Francisco. From the time they're born until they're one year old. It's amazing. You see the the rich diversity of the world in which we live, the different ways that people bring up their children. It's fascinating. But what I felt in the midst of it all was this connection to each one of these moms and dads and to each one of these babies. I'm drawn because it feels like no matter our differences, our cultural, religious, our traditions, we're all really one. That's why the story to me of the wise men feels like a kind of foreshadowing because I think this is the foundational message of Jesus whom we call the Christ. Jesus is our version of something eternal and universal that finds us and connects us and draws us here on a bright sunny Sunday morning. But Jesus always said to us that God is bigger than one religion. That God is in fact the web of love and mutuality which finds us and connects us to all things. That may sound a little heretical to you. It kind of does to me. But I think it's because we've been fed so long a steady diet of religion as competition. So much so that we come to almost prefer it. We're like people who were raised in poverty. And our parents had to find a way to to make the parts of the animal that we got to eat taste good. So we figured out ways to cook brains and gizzards and fat back. And so later when we don't have to eat that stuff anymore and we're actually told that's not very healthy for you, we still crave those old tastes. 
And in the same way, if exclusivism and religion and competition is the home cooking that we were raised on, then religion as connection and oneness is going to feel strange. It doesn't quite match our palate. It feels a little too rich, a little too good to be true. Epiphany Sunday hints at the truth. It's a foreshadowing of the truth that Jesus is not going to be another candidate in a crowded field for the nomination for president of the world. Jesus has come to guide us to God, who is the web of love and mutuality, which finds us and draws us and connects us to everything so that later on, grown-up Jesus would pray, Father, let them be one as we are one. Now, with my religion as competition ears, I would say, well, that's just for the Christians. But another way to hear Jesus' words is, all humanity is one. And we are woven together. Father, let them be one as we are one. How would the world be different if we saw each other as one? Growing up, Jesus said, love your enemies. Religion is competition. Here's those words and says, well, that's a way we can be better than those other people. We'll love our enemies. When I wonder if Jesus is saying, let me, let me use the people who oppose you, who are contrary to you, to reveal to you your blind spots, the dimensions of yourself that you can't even see, which is never fun or easy. In fact, it's hard, it's hurtful, it's painful, but it's always for our good. And God can use it for our good because we're one. So, love your enemies. In fact, I think this is how Jesus Christ comes to save us, comes to save the world. He comes to awaken us as individuals, as a congregation, as a human race to the oneness which could set us free from competition, from every man, every woman, for himself, for herself. To set us free from fear and aggression and selfishness, which always, always threatens to undo what God has created. In the Steve Earle song, he sings, Now all around the world, in every little town, Every day is heard a precious little sound, and every mother kind and every father proud looks down in awe to find another chance allowed. For nothing but a child could wash these tears away or guide a weary world into the light of day. And nothing but a child could help erase these miles so that once again we all can be children for a while. Let's pray together.
on this first day, this first Sunday of the new year. Draw us with your love. Give us the courage like those stargazers of old to follow the light wherever it leads, outside or inside of us, until we see what is real and what is right. Make your world one. Heal your world through your bearers of light wherever we are. In your holy name we pray. Amen.